welcome back. You know, it's so nice to see you again. It has been a hot minute since I've uh, put out an episode of this podcast. And I guess like, you know, most of us, life has been busy. You know, a lot of things have changed in my own personal life, but I won't bore you with those details because I know you're not here for that. But it is October, and I figure, what better time to bring this podcast back than my favorite month, leading up to, I guess, my favorite holiday, Halloween. Now, you can say you've missed me, because I've missed you too. But tonight, we're going to be talking about twins, now, yeah, I know that uh, we've done an episode on doppelgangers and triplets that were some part of like a weird experiment. Yeah, that was an interesting episode. But tonight we're going to talk about a very specific set of twins. You know, twins are very interesting. They've always been super interesting to me. Twins appear in the mythologies of many cultures around the world. In some cultures, they are seen as ominous, and in others, they are seen as suspicious. Twins in mythology are often cast as two halves of the same whole, sharing a bond deeper than that of ordinary siblings, are seen as fierce rivals. They can be seen as representations of dualistic worldviews, They can represent another aspect of the self. You know, a doppelganger, as I mentioned before, or a shadow, quote-unquote. However, twins can also reflect complete opposition of the other, such as the civilized Gilgamesh and the wild Inkindu, or in the commonly known instance of good and evil twin identities. For most of the lore that I've uh, looked into, twins have been depicted with uh, special powers. This applies in both mortal and immortal sets of twins. Twins in mythology also often share deep bonds. You know, in Greek mythology, Castor and Pollux share a bond so strong that when mortal Castor dies, Pollux gives up half of his immortality to be with his brother. Castor and Pollux are the twin brothers. Their mother is Leda, a being who was seduced by Zeus who had taken the form of a swan. Twins actually have a special place in Bulgarian folklore tradition. I'm going to tell you a little uh, fun fact. The power they possess can break magic and protect from diseases and demons. You know, there are many beliefs associated with the, this force as well as with the extraordinary bond between people born in the same day or month. The simultaneous birth of two children brings great joy to the family, fortune, and fertility for everyone in the house. But one popular belief has it that twins of the same sex possess a special force. If one is sick, the other gets sick. If one dies, the second will follow shortly. 
Mothers of twins or children born in the same month used to perform special rituals for their symbolic separation. What was required was an egg with a double yolk, a whole kernel of a walnut, or the fruit of a tree that blossomed twice during the year. Children had to stand on both sides of the bridge or ford separated by a river. And the mother broke the egg or the fruit in two and fed this to them. Or the two children lied on the ground and their father planted a fruit tree between them. Only twin girls could perform some rituals in the folk wedding, christening, and others. Twin brothers were those who acquired a new or live fire by rubbing dry trees. New fire is produced each year around the summer solstice. And in the event of an epidemic or other evil, at any time of year, humans and animals had to pass symbolically through it in order to avoid all calamities and diseases. When they are a brother and a sister, their abilities seem to diminish. If there's any twins out there that are opposite sex, well, maybe you, know, <laughs> you, you could let me know if this is accurate. One legend claims that twins are born if, during pregnancy, the woman has violated the prohibition to eat an egg with a double yolk, to sit on the saddle bags, etc. It is also believed that a female twin has a healing and sorcerer's gift. If she jumps three times over a uh, person with back pain lying on the threshold, he or she would be healed. A woman who has given birth to twins more than once also has the skills of a, a wizard. It was once believed that such a woman could bring down the moon, turn it into a cow, and milk her. Now, I know you're probably like, why are you going on about all of this? <laughs> but trust me, I have a point. And it's because the set of twins we will be talking about tonight have another name. They are called the Silent Twins. Now, let me see if I still remember how to do this. If you're new here, I'm your host and curator of all things strange and unexplained, Anthony Rossetti. And you're listening to Not Another Horror Podcast. In April of 1963, at the military hospital in Aden, Yemen, a pair of twin girls were born. Their births were not unusual, nor were their dispositions as infants. But soon enough, their parents began to see that June and Jennifer Gibbons were not like other girls. 
The father worked for the British Air Force, and after the birth of the twins, was transferred to Wales. The family moved to a house in the county of Pembrokeshire, Harvard Fort West. I'm not sure if I said that right. <laughs> but the family attracted a lot of attention from the neighbors. There had never been a black family in the region. Not long after their girls hit speaking age, Gloria and Aubrey Gibbons realized that their twin daughters were different. Not only were they far behind their peers in regards to language skills, but they were also unusually inseparable. And the two girls seemed to have a private language that only they could understand. Their father stated in the home they talk, make sounds, and all that. But we knew that they weren't quite like, you know, normal children. The Gibbons family was originally from Barbados. Though the family spoke English at home, young June and Jennifer began to speak another language, believed to be a sped up version of Bajan Creole. The two would come to be known as the Silent Twins for their unwillingness to communicate with anyone except for each other. You see, it wasn't only a singular dialect that kept the girls isolated. Being the only black children in their elementary school made them the target of relentless bullying, which only deepened their dependency on each other. As the bullying got worse, school officials began releasing the girls early in the hopes that they could sneak out and avoid being harassed. In their private time, however, they were amazing writers, penning entire novels about strange characters and unsettling crimes. Most of the stories took place in the United States, specifically Malibu for some reason, and centered around young, attractive people who committed grisly crimes. While only one novel titled The Pepsi-Cola Addict about a young teenager seduced by his high school teacher, sounds like a good read, made it all the way to print that didn't stop June and Jennifer Gibbons from pinning a dozen other tales. By the time the girls were teenagers, their language had become unintelligible to anyone else. They had also developed other peculiarities, such as refusing to communicate with virtually any outsiders and refusing to read or write in school and mirroring each other's actions. June summarized the dynamic with her sister as such, one day she'd wake up and be me, and one day I would wake up and be her. And we used to say to each other, give me back myself. If you give me back myself, I'll give you back yourself. Shortly after graduating from high school, seemingly without warning, things took an even darker twist. June and Jennifer began a small arson spree around their hometown. This resulted in a conviction that led to their incarceration at Broadmoor Hospital, a high-security asylum. Unsurprisingly, this change of scenery didn't make the continuing story of the Silent Twins any less bizarre. Being hospitalized at Broadmoor Hospital did not prove easy for June and Jennifer Gibbons. The high-security mental health facility was not as lenient about the girls' lifestyle as their school and family had been. Instead of letting them retreat into their own world, 
The doctor at Broadmoor began treating the silent twins with high doses of antipsychotic medicines, which caused blurred visions for Jennifer. Locked away on opposite ends of the hospital, they would apparently freeze in the same pose, eat on alternating days, and presumably invite visitors to come and play with them forever and ever. During this time, the one person who managed to get through to the sisters was a journalist, Majorie Wallace, who worked for the Sunday Times. During her weekly visits with the twins, she built a rapport with them. They laughed together as time went on. However, she noticed an upsetting trend. The sisters' writings turned acrimonious. Each described the other as a deadly enemy. For nearly 12 years, the girls lived at the hospital and their only respite was found in filling page after page and diary after diary. June later summarized their stay at Broadmoor and one of her passages. We got 12 years of hell because we didn't speak. We had to work hard to get out. We went to the doctor. We said, look, they wanted us to talk. We're talking now. He said, you're not getting out. You're going to be here for 30 years. We lost hope, really. I wrote a letter to the home office. I wrote a letter to, to the queen asking her to pardon us, to get us out. But we were trapped. Just before they were set to be transferred to a lower security facility, the twins told Wallace that one of them, Jennifer, needed to die in order for the other to live a normal life. Finally, in March of 1993, arrangements were made for the twins to be transferred to a lower security clinic in Wales. But upon arrival at the new facility, doctors found that Jennifer was unresponsive. She had seemingly drifted off during the trip and wouldn't wake up. While the official cause of death was believed to be the major swelling around her heart, Jennifer Gibbons' death still largely remains a mystery. There was no evidence of poison in her system or anything else unusual. The doctors at the Caswell Clinic deduced that the medications given to the girls at Broadmoor must have provoked Jennifer's immune system. Though they also noted that June was given the same medication and was in perfect health upon arriving. After her sister's death, June wrote in her diary, Today, my beloved twin sister Jennifer died. She is dead. Her heart stopped beating. She will never recognize me. Mom and Dad came to see her body. I kissed her stone-colored face. I went hysterical with grief. But Wallace recalled visiting June several days after Jennifer's death and finding her in good spirits and willing to talk, really sit and talk for the very first time. From that moment on, it seemed June was a new person. She told Majorie how Jennifer's death had opened her up and allowed her to be free for the first time. She told her how Jennifer had to die and how they had decided that once she did, it would be June's responsibility to live for the other. And June did just that. Years later, she still lives in the UK, not far from her family. She's rejoined society and speaks to anyone who is willing to listen. 
A stark contrast from the girl who spent the beginning of her life talking to no one but her sister. When asked why she and her sister had committed themselves to being silent for nearly 30 years of their lives, June simply replied, We made a pact. We said we weren't going to speak to anybody. We stopped talking altogether. Only us two in our bedroom upstairs. So what do you guys think about this story? After watching all the uh, documentaries about it, and I also tried to watch the uh, new movie that came out, but couldn't find it anywhere to stream. So I guess it's still in theaters, but my theater apparently isn't playing it. But I digress. All in all, I think this story, it does have its uh, creepy moments, but to me, it just seems like it's a very, I don't know, heartbreaking story because after watching the the, uh, the documentary and hearing them speak, it's pretty clear that they do speak with a speech impediment. And once you take that into account, I mean, this whole story just becomes pretty sad. But for things like mirroring each other, uh, one seemingly would stop talking while the other talked, almost like they were just an extension of the other. These things can be seen as pretty weird also. But for all my logical people out there, I know that there's probably a logical explanation. So what do you think? We'd love to hear from anyone out there that has an opinion. But that's our episode for this week. And as always, stay safe. Stay sane. See you next week.